We are able to bring you these weekly podcasts through the financial support of our members and friends. If you are helping to sustain the ongoing work of our church with your regular donations, thank you. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring donation, visit the donate page on our website, ucofh.org, or text 833-610-0867. Thank you for helping to share worship and messages of hope with the wider community during these unprecedented times. Welcome to the United Church of Hinesburg podcast on Trinity Sunday, 2020. We are a community-centered church in rural Vermont, celebrating together virtually during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. As an open and affirming church with ties to the American Baptists, United Methodist, and United Church of Christ denominations, we're glad you're here. I'm Rev. Jared Hamilton, the pastor of UCH. Sammy Angsman has provided music for this episode, including Carl Philip Emmanuel Bach's Solfeggio. Special thanks go to uh, Emma Main for reading today's gospel lesson, which comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. There will be a short homily and service of morning prayers. Let's get started. Good morning. The Gospel lesson for the first Sunday after Pentecost, 2020, comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I will be reading from the New King James Version. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Statistics play an important part in many sports. My brother and I collected baseball cards growing up, and I can remember spending hours going through decks of cards and looking at their backs where lines of numbers represented the quality of player and season. 
When I was really little, Kirby Puckett was my favorite player, and I remember that there was a lot of bold font used on the numbers on the back of his cards, showing all the times he led the league in hits or runs batted in or led the league in batting average. From the numbers, my brother and I could learn to tell whether a player was good or bad or simply average. But statistics in baseball rarely have the final say. Kirk Gibson's numbers from the 1988 season were actually pretty good. In the first year with the Los Angeles Dodgers, he managed to hit 290 with 25 home runs and 76 runs batted in on his way to a uh, Most Valuable Player award. But during the playoffs, his body had broken down. By the time the Dodgers made it to the World Series, Gibson had a torn hamstring tendon in his left leg and a sprained MCL in his right. Before Game 1 against the Oakland Athletics, he received injections in both legs, and he spent most of the game in the clubhouse icing and watching the game on the TV. The game looked to be in the bag for the Athletics by the ninth inning. Jose Canseco had crushed a grand slam in the second inning, and pitcher Dave Stewart had held the Dodgers hitters largely in check. Pitcher Dennis Eckersley, arguably the best closing pitcher at the time, entered the game with a 4-3 lead in the bottom of the ninth. With two outs and a runner on first, Kurt Gibson was called on to pinch hit. Gibson limped up to the plate. A lengthy at-bat with several awful-looking swings got Gibson to the moment every baseball and softball player can recite. Bottom of the ninth. Full count, two outs, runner on, and down by one. Eckersley delivered a backdoor slider low and away. Gibson swung, and the ball sailed high into the air and over the right field wall. Kurt Gibson had done it. A game-winning, pinch-hit home run to win the first game of the 1988 World Series. Gibson hobbled around the bases, pumping his fist while the crowd at Dodger Stadium went crazy. The Dodgers would go on to win the 1988 World Series over the Oakland Athletics, four games to one, and Gibson's home run would become perhaps the most iconic hit in baseball history. I was five at the time, and this was my very first baseball memory, uh, perhaps the memory that uh, makes me love the game even today. The stories we tell do more for us than, than statistics. When we remember the people who are no longer in our lives, we recount our stories with them, not the year they graduated or the number of jobs or the list of achievements. The stories we carry with us keep the memory of them alive, and when we get to tell their stories to others, a part of them continues on somehow. In many churches, this Sunday is Trinity Sunday, a time that we acknowledge and explore the mysteries of our triune God. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is today's gospel lesson because it's the clearest scriptural reference to the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Espousing a Trinitarian theology, however, is not the primary or perhaps even the secondary concern of this passage. Often labeled the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, contains Jesus' last words, to his disciples in this gospel. His message is twofold. Go make disciples, and I will always be with you. 
The word disciple is a bit of a churchy word. Um, it can be a little confusing and even loaded in some context. But when we look at the, gospel, uh, the book of Acts and the epistles of Paul, it seems that the primary action of disciple-making was to tell the stories of Jesus. In Acts 2, Peter stands in front of a large crowd for the first time and tells stories of miraculous works, teachings, oppression and injustice, death and resurrection, and situates the story of Jesus in the broader context of human suffering and liberation. Later, Peter and John retell the story to the local religious council. In fact, the story is told over and over in the book of Acts. In the letters of the New Testament, Paul does the same, mixing advice and ethical sayings with the story of Jesus' life and ministry, and what the death and resurrection meant to him. Becoming a disciple then involved responding to these stories of Jesus. You know, I am a fan of St. Francis of Assisi's most famous quote, you know, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. It, I think, points to the way we are to live out the teachings of Jesus, to embody the practices of healing, generosity, and peacemaking. But telling the story of Jesus is important, too. Telling the gospel stories remind us that the principles of good and justice are bigger than us and that we participate in a rich heritage of those that have worked to make the world better for centuries. Telling the stories of Jesus also keep, keep Jesus with us, perhaps something he perceived when he promised to be with his disciples all of their days. Stories are vital for human existence and shape the way we understand the world around us. Recently, we've been confronted with the story of George Floyd, who was killed on May 25, 2020, while in police custody in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Video has helped to tell the story of a black man who was held on the ground by police officers. One officer pressed his knee into Mr. Floyd's neck until he could no longer breathe. Throughout the ordeal, Mr. Floyd tells the officer that he cannot breathe, and the video shows him crying out for his mother before he slips into unconsciousness. Mr. Floyd would later die on his way to the hospital. Would we consider a similar retelling of Jesus' last days? perhaps an obituary from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus of Nazareth, born December 25th, year zero, died April 3rd, 33, was killed while in the custody of Roman imperial soldiers last Friday. He was arrested at Gethsemane, a garden overlooking the city the previous night. Before his arrest, onlookers said that he did not look well and overheard him saying, Daddy, or Abba, Father, Remove this cup from me. He did not resist arrest. Later that evening, he was brought to a religious tribunal where he was beaten. Without being tried, Jesus was beaten again when he was remanded into the custody of the Roman Imperial Guard. Pilate, the official in charge, decided to kill Jesus by crucifixion. Because of the severity of his beatings, Jesus was unable to carry his cross all the way to Golgotha 
Simon of Cyrene, a black man from Western Africa, was forced to carry the cross the rest of the way. Once they arrived, Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the cross, and he was hung up as onlookers gathered. The soldiers mocked him while he hung there dying. So did some that watched. Jesus breathed his last breath around 3 p.m. Some of those familiar with Jesus said that he was a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Others, those close to him, said he was kind and compassionate, a healer and teacher. For fear of reprisal, none of his family or friends could be reached at this time. A brief vigil will be held Sunday morning at the tomb by Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. The Empire has promised to violently crack down on any protests. At some point every year, churches across the U.S. are confronted with yet another death of a black or brown person at the hands of authorities or white supremacists. The killing of unarmed people of color has become part of the Christian liturgical year, a time or season where we observe our racist history and the ongoing outcomes of failing to address it. Many churches fail to observe the season, either feeling too much pressure from their white base or lacking the courage needed to move from faith to action. Churches that do keep the season will serve as resources to their community, no matter how imperfect, and will march, retrain, confess, and speak out against police brutality, racism, and the systems that perpetuate ongoing oppression. It goes without saying that this liturgical observance is a penitential one, where churches offer more opportunities for truth-telling, confession, repentance, and direct action. This penitential season is different than other seasons under the same category, however. The penitential season of Advent ends with the good news of the Christmas announcement that Jesus has been born and God is with us. The penitential season of Lent culminates in the good news of Easter, a declaration that says Christ is risen. As of yet, the penitential season that marks the death of people of color by the hands of white people lacks good news or divine presence. We are stuck in Good Friday. We are still waiting. Until then, there can be no redemption, only the shame of this grievous sin. We know the stories of racism and white supremacy in the United States. Those stories should be enough to inspire action to change our laws, weed out bad guys from places of authority, and educate our children properly. These stories should be enough for us to stop using excuses like, but this is how I was raised, or this doesn't really affect me. I wonder why it's so easy for us to forget that our Lord and Savior died in much the same way, or how we can confess Christ and still hate our human siblings of color in violent and oppressive ways. It would be helpful for us to read the stories of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and others like Philando Castile, 
Michael Brown, and Tamir Rice from the people that loved them. Podcast show notes have links to their obituaries, which in many cases were written by those closest to them. I pray that when we hear their stories in the broader context of oppression and the fight for life, equality, and dignity, we respond, becoming disciples of a better way. We will be deeply troubled and a divided people until we do. Amen. Feel free to join me in saying the prayer of our Savior, followed by a prayer for all of God's creation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Loving God, we pray for all people. Because of the pandemic, we continue to be away from each other, separated from our communities and loved ones. Comfort us and give us hope as we await a time when we can see each other face to face. Pour out your blessing on us, O Lord and send us your spirit of peace. We pray for the earth. Help us to see the scars that mark your good creation and to seek the blessing of life that you offer to all of your creatures. And pour out your blessing, O Lord, and send your spirit of peace. We pray for all nations. Show us how good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity, and anoint us with your wisdom so that we may seek the ways of life. Pour out your blessing, O Lord, and send us your spirit of peace. We pray for the church. Let your church be a living sign of the risen Christ, sharing the gift of forgiveness and the gospel of reconciliation. Pour out your blessing, O Lord, and send us your spirit of peace. We pray for loved ones. There are people and places on our hearts and minds right now. Hear our prayers and petitions during this moment of silence. By the blessing of your Spirit, help us to live as we pray, so that the world may come to know the gift of life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Life is short, and we do not have long to gladden the hearts of those around us. So be quick to love, 
and do good to your neighbor and allow God to journey with you all of your days. Go now in peace.